WMEX Quincy Boston, streaming at WMEXBoston.com. And on your smart speaker, just say, play WMEX. The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all-new WMEX. WMEX Boston. After fighting and coaching his way through a storied 47-year professional hockey career, Mike Melbury's gloves are again off for his next chapter as a radio host. Talking about the NHL, the Boston Bruins, and the hockey world at large. Brought to you by Ketchis Law. Since 1986, they've had the backs of every hardworking tradesman in New England who finds themselves injured on the worksite. You pay nothing unless they win. So get your free consultation today at catcheslaw.com or by calling 508-321-7000. You're listening to Gloves Off Hockey here on WMEX with your host, Mike Milbury, alongside your friend, Ben Rabinovitz. Mike, absolute pleasure to have you back on as always, buddy, and what a wild week it has been in the league. Yeah, and it's going to be a wild weather weekend for us, isn't it? That, Seriously. That, that forecast was not my favorite, I can tell you that. No. But uh, I just picked up a, a generator, so I feel a little safer, but it still sounds like it's going to be a mess for a few days, but... We'll see. Sometimes they don't get it right, but your guy's pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, Rob Gilman's usually right on the money. The last storm we had, he actually gave us a date, a time, and a condition. He was off by 15 minutes. Everything else was bang on. Wow. Know, well, right? This is the the this is the shortest day of the year. Did you know that? Yeah. Thank oh, God. Man. Well, finally, you know, I'm tired of seeing the sun go down at 4 o'clock. Seriously, right? Yeah. I mean, geez, 3.30, dinner time already? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, let's have a look back. You know, the, the Bees lost their uh, their streak at home by losing to the Los Angeles Kings. We'll talk more about that King team a little bit later, but um, sad to see it go, but they still managed to get a point. Uh, they're cruising along at the top of the division. Then they ran into Columbus, and Columbus, give them some credit. I mean, they're a lousy team, but they – the Bruins were sloppy early. Maybe maybe it was Andy Brickley brought this up, and I think it's a fair point. They had the celebration for uh, Patrice Bergeron's 1,000th point. And whenever you get those celebrations that go on for 10 or 15 minutes, you can lose some people along the way, and I think that might have happened. But, you know, they, they were sloppy as they came out of the gate, and then, as usual, their power play gave them a boost, and there was a Postenach again. I mean... I, Somehow that contract's got to get done, but it, it's sparkling right now, the power play. Columbus hung around, though, and, the, and the, as I said, you know, you can't let a team in this league hang around, even if it's Columbus, a, you know, a, a team that's having trouble getting out of its own way. Boone Jenner got a nifty power play goal. Swayman played pretty well in this game, I thought. Some good saves at 2-1. Uh, at to one. And then uh, Kretschy got the one-timer again from McAvoy. Beautiful goal by Kretschy. And it was a souped-up version in the third for the Bruins, I thought. Uh, but Patrick Line made it interesting at 4-2. And then the Bruins couldn't find the empty net. Postenok had a couple of shots at it. And even, did you see Swayman with his bid? <laughs> inches. Literal inches off that far post. I couldn't believe it. Well, he, um, you know, when you're, you're shooting from that far out and you're trying to get some some mustard on it. He he slid across to us from left to right and, and caused that sort of spin off to the left. And uh, otherwise, it looked. I thought it was going in from the beginning, but it was 
It was a good bit. <laughs> right? The only moment you'll see an NFL comparison in the NHL. Everyone's standing there with their arms up. It's good. It's good. Oh, it's not good. Well, and then there was Florida. Um, we talked about this team last week at some length. Something's wrong there. I mean, they're, they're in New Jersey tonight. We'll see what happens there. New Jersey's also having a little bit of a tough time. But there, this was really no contest. Uh, the Bruins, I mean, Florida played okay. Uh, but all of a sudden, the Bruins were up with a 4 nothing lead. And it, it really wasn't a 4 nothing game. And I don't think Spencer Knight had his best day at the office. Um, but they came, they came roaring back and made it interesting. Um, and then the Bruins finally pulled away. Bergeron with four points, and is he getting better at this age? It certainly looks like it, man. I've seen a fine wine uh, turn better, but, man, Bergie's just really pressing on all cylinders this yeah, season, he especially. Is. He is. So the home point streak is still 19 games with a point. Now that's just a couple games shy of the 50% mark for the entire season. That That is mind-boggling when you consider the expectations were so much lower than that for this team. I mean, it, it was, it's a, it is a point of pride. And I've heard some people say they don't put much stock in the regular season, but it's an 82 game grind. And when you can put something together like this, it keeps your attention. It keeps your focus. Um, you know, it's a, it's going to be interesting to see their second in goals for behind the Sabres, believe it or not. Still, who are still muddling along, right? It doesn't even sound right to say that, but yeah, you know, that uh, that kid down there in Buffalo really making something happen. Yeah, but he is, Tage Thompson, but but the Sabres have given up 40 more goals than the Bruins, so that's why the Bruins are in a little bit better shape. <laughs> the Bruins are now first in goals against. No surprise, I mean, no surprise there when your goaltender, Allmark, is playing like that, and no surprise there when you get two number one defensemen back there, and they're third on the power play, which hit a rough spot for a while. Uh, only the Oilers uh, are better. and Or Oilers, and I forget who the other team, doesn't really matter. They're first in penalty killing. I mean... It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? When you look at their score sheet, this is David Postonok. He's, you know, top six or so in scoring in the league. But then if you try to go down the list and look for another... Bruins player, you don't get there for quite a while. I mean, the thing is, I think that they're doing. Hall has twenty-seven points. Bergy and Marshan have twenty-six apiece. Krejci's twenty-four. DeBrus twenty-three. Lindholm twenty-three. It's team production, right down the line. It's team production. They're not leaning on anybody right now. And you know, when you see Taylor Hall uh, second in point production, and he's playing on the third line, or has been. Um, that says something. And you know what I liked after the Columbus game? They won the game, and the coach said his team was not playing very good hockey. I mean, it's always the right time, in my opinion. That's the first time he said anything about the team in general being bad. Being bad. But, but he said, we're not checking well enough. Too many stick infractions. They were taking an awful lot of penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the winning percentage that they have now is 883 not any team in the history of the NHL has had that for a full season. I don't know that they can keep it up, but it's it just indicates just how warm they are in terms of in terms of winning. It's just it's been fun to watch. They have a tough game coming up against Winnipeg, but I did like hearing a 
get a little spanking to a guy. And, and he spanked uh, Connor Clifton, too, for trying to make too many things happen on the ice. And, and, and I, you're going to have to have some of that. You're going to have to pull, pe- pull people back in line. Not very often publicly, but you're going to have to pull them back in line. A couple other little notes before I go. Don McKinney, former Bees captain, 88 years old, passed away. The great career he had as a captain and as a, as a coach later, college coach. Um, really sad news out of Toronto. Victor Mete, their defenseman, his grandfather was killed in a mass shooting there. I, I saw mean, that. It's Awful. just really 79 years old. I mean, you deserve to go out with a little more dignity than that, in my opinion. And, you know, I'd say, I hate to say it, but, you know, if the gun violence is catching on in Canada, we're in for a long run. Seriously. And, and Franco Harris at 72, too young, one of the, one of the single greatest plays in, in Pittsburgh Steeler history, the Immaculate Reception which was going to be honored on Sunday as a 50-year anniversary, and his number was going to be retired on Sunday. Oh, uh, he just missed that? He passes away uh, just before that. It's too bad. It's a sad time for his family. It would have been a great moment for him. I don't know what, what occurred, but, you know, the end comes to all of us. But for Franco Harris, it came certainly four or five days too short because he should have he, – he'd earned the right to, to – to get those honors. That's right. And, and, and finally, the World Junior Tournament is starting up in Canada, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And the U.S. beat Sweden in a pre-tournament game. Um, and you know what I noticed about this roster? Not one, not one player from Massachusetts. A few players that play at, you know, schools in the area, but not one Massachusetts uh, born and bred and trained hockey player and that is a sad thing as far as I'm concerned. I noticed that too and I was going to bring that up later. I'm glad you saw that cuz that's just mind-boggling to me. How can there not be one yeah. Massachusetts native on that roster? You know what? Uh, the USA hockey has tried to corral um hockey, amateur hockey in this state for years. But it's unfortunately for most organizations it's not about the proper training, it's about making as much money as you possibly can. And, you know, traveling around to different states and different towns to play hockey where they should be practicing and training. And, you know, the USA has developed a couple of different systems to to help coaches in this regard. But uh, sadly, it largely gets ignored. And uh, and I think it's, a, you know, when Massachusetts is such a such a great interest in hockey, can't come together with a at least one player on that world junior team. I mean, they're from all over the place. They're from California and Florida and a lot, a lot from the Midwest, but not one from Massachusetts, Ben. I mean, when, don't get me wrong. I'm glad to see that hockey's catching on in a couple of, dare I say, non-traditional hockey markets, but you can't leave out the classics of the past. It just doesn't work that way, in my opinion. No, I, I think it's a, it's a sin, but it should, be, it should serve as a red flag for youth hockey organizations throughout the state. And there, there's just too much interest, there's too much participation. So what's happening here in terms of training can't be the right way to do it. And there should, there should be more percolating talent from this area than there, there presently is. And with that, we'll take a quick break and we're going to come back with our guest. I do love a quick break here on Gloves Off Hockey with your friend Ben Rabinovitz and your host, Mike Milbury. 
We got a very special guest on the line for this episode, and Mike, why don't you go ahead and do the honors, brother? I will. It's uh, Mick Collagio, who's uh, been covering this Bruins team for almost a quarter of a century for various publications, including the New Bedford Standard Times, amongst others. Writes for the Bruins in terms of the their some of their stuff, and also does something with the the Sports Museum uh, and writing articles honoring Bruins players who will be feted at the tradition. This year was Mark Recchi. Uh, Mick, how are you? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm, I'm, our pleasure. Um, so I'm not looking forward to the snowstorm. You ready? Well, um, I think I live in the all-rain area. I'm on. The, I'm about a uh, bike ride from the Bourne Bridge. Good luck. Huh. <laughs> yeah. I'm holding out hope. Holding out hope. <laughs> hold, hold out hope with your generator, too, all right? Yeah. Yeah, so, that's uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> so what has happened with this team here? What were your expectations for the Bruins coming into the season? <clears throat> wow. Uh, my brain was kind of going in about seven directions because of the obvious personnel things happening at the core of the club. Charlie McAvoy, who I consider the most important player um, coming off of his surgery, um, you also had Grizzly back there with the surgery. Uh, you have Marshan, who's so core to their to the identity of their team and what they do. And then you have Krejci coming back from a year in check. And you have uh, Bergeron, who is teeter-tottering. So there's just so many X factors. The only thing I was sure of is that the goaltending had to be good out of the gate before things settled down. Little did I know that uh, Montgomery was going to tweak the puck protection system and puck support that this team has and change the way the Bruins play enough so that it discombobulated so many opponents, especially in the early part of the schedule. Um, and teams just really couldn't figure out how to shut them down. And I'd say that since the last couple of weeks, there's been a few games at TD Garden where opponents have demonstrated that there is a way to, to make it hard on them. And the Bruins really have not done a great job playing through that, but it's a necessary part of their process if they want to get where they really want to go. So, um, so, so what have these yeah. opponents done that you've seen that has made it difficult on the Bruins? I mean, everybody's coming in ready because the Bruins have the best record in hockey. So there's not going to be anybody sleepwalking through a – a night at the garden, but what in particular right. have some of these teams tried to accomplish against the Bruins that that'll make it difficult for them? Well, I think they've watched a ton of video and I think that there are certain system great breakout plays that, that came very easily for the Bruins in the early going because the opponents had not seen a cycle of their games yet and understood how they were playing, which the big thing that I've noticed is, is that, if somebody is stationed on half wall or in the point, depending on where the puck is and trying to come out of their own zone and there's a puck that, you know, that somebody's going to pinch on the guy who's receiving that pass. He's not under great pressure to do anything with it right away because he's not going to cop it right up to their guy in the middle of the rink because a Bruin is always so nearby. He always has an option with the puck. He always has somebody to go to, and then the play keeps moving forward. Even if the Bruins have to cycle it laterally from that point forward, 
and they make these little plays, these little pass plays to get them out of these micro troubles all the way up the ice, and it gives them the illusion of being really fast, and the game moves faster for them, and there's a continuity to their progress up the ice. The teams had a real hard time with trying to figure out, even if they were aggressive, they were trying to get there, they weren't doing it fast enough, they weren't looking at the right guy, and and uh, I'd say lately there's just been more set plays that are not working because um, they've been identified and repeated enough by the Bruins so that they get shut down in the middle of the rink. And some teams have had some heavy shifts on them and pin them in their end for a change. So uh, the games have been tougher. And um, and I think, too, you got that general thing that you know as a coach you encountered it where guys get you know, they don't want to say satisfied or complacent, but it's just difficult to muster up that level of energy and intensity that you need every single time or every single night or every single period. And um, and I think that that really showed in the L.A. game. Yeah, yeah, they they weren't good. LA, and L.A. does have the ability to score goals, and fortunately for them, they also give up a ton. But um, it was bound to come to an end, the winning streak, but... but uh, I thought I didn't think it would be against LA, but you, you mentioned that McAvoy was the most important player on the Bruins team. Tell me why. I think that if you're the key offensive defenseman, or actually, let's go further with him and call him the two-way, two hundred foot monster. He's the guy who has to be. If you're like he's there, a Ray Bork or a Brian Leach, depending on you know where the baby they had falls in the middle between them. It's kind of a really fast Brad Park, but not as good, but still awesome. And I think that that, play, that position to me is the hardest in hockey because any mistake you make leaves the goaltender vulnerable. And if goaltender isn't ready, then the goaltender is going to be made to look bad a lot of times when he's a better goaltender than, than what winds up happening. And I think that that position – if you're going to be the guy who, who's the main breakout player, um, your best defender, your all-purpose guy in all three zones, your minute muncher. I looked at the Islanders series a couple of years ago, and Barry Trotz had guys trying to murder Charlie McAvoy for six games. And when the series was over, he spent about two solid minutes hugging Charlie McAvoy after a series if you wanted to kidnap him and take him through the tunnel to the next round with him in their uniform. And um, that kind of player, if he cannot hurt his team, he's so important to help his team. But it's different for a guy who just is, plays the offensive side of a puck and is only a stick defender. You really can see it in the plus-minus on a player like him. Uh, he's always very solid because he gets all the toughest matchups, and and yet he's still supposed to drive the attack as well from the back end. Now you got Lindholm coming from the opposite side of the ice, who's also able to do a lot of this. He's sort of uh, giving them a left shot presence there that they didn't really have before. As talented as Matt Grizzlick is, um, Lindholm can match up defend as well. So the Bruins are a categorically different team with, with uh, Lindholm in the lineup. To me, the ceiling is off the team since they acquired him. Um, because since Chara, Zidane Chara aged out, uh, they were hurting on that side of the ice for a matchup defense. And Lindholm, to me, gives that to them. And um, so now 
And Forbort is quicker this year, too, and I know I'm kind of getting off topic. But to me, that player on your team, whether it's your, your Ray Bork, your Brian Leach, uh, whoever's shouldering that load, you can't have that part of your team break down and not have ramifications. That has to be a rock. And I feel like that position requires so much in the way of commitment, intensity, uh, consistency, dedication, almost obsession, in order to hone your craft and, and just keep getting better because the demands are so high and it's so punitive if you're off and you make a mistake, the whole world sees it. I noted in the, in the last game that he swapped out McAvoy in favor of Lindholm on the power play. Did you notice that? No, that went by me. But, um, yeah, it's, it's weird, it's weird uh, what, what goes on in cases like that. I mean, sometimes it's a left-right thing. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's just not clicking for certain guys on certain nights. Uh, the Bruins power play uh, didn't start great, and then it caught fire, and then it, then it wasn't great. And, you know, I, I guess I don't pen, spend a ton of time looking at that because I feel like, if you can get the clutch power play going when you need it in the playoffs, then that's really good to have. Um, but you could be a, a lousy power play team. And the New Jersey Devils were 30th out of 30 in 2002-3, and they won the Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, so I'm not belittling the question as much as I'm just saying that I tend to, I tend to be sloppy when it comes to the power play. And when it works, it's great. I kind of look at it like a roulette wheel. But, yeah. I think that front presence is the thing that I think the Bruins have been aching, pining for um, with that, and they've been using some skill guys to do it, Taylor Hall being one of the recent choices. Yeah, and DeBrusque on occasion, Felino. So, I mean, it seems like it's back on track in any event. Um, but, right. you know, I think you'd have to agree with me that Postonok now is amongst the elite players in this league. What's holding up the Bruins from making a deal here? Yeah, it's really funny. I don't know. I, I think that problem. I, I'm trying to think of my wild guess is that is that they feel like they have nothing to gain by rushing into it. And I, I guess we're past the stage that it would even be rushing into it since this is his last year of his contract. But they their bargaining position only gets worse if the Bruins go to glory this year. If they, if they somehow wind up on the duck boats, then that's the only way their bargaining position gets worse. But there's a lot of bad ways it could get better. So I can understand why they're not jumping out of their socks to get it over with. But I get the feeling that both sides want to get it done. And, um, and the Bruins are probably just trying to take as much time as they can to see what else may develop it might change, tweak the market in their favor just a little bit. Um, because really, Pasternak fits into that pantheon of elbow wingers, playmaking wingers in the NHL now, whether it's Tarasenko or Kucherov or Panarin or Patrick Kane. There's a lot of guys around the league. Well, well Taylor Hall obviously had a career year as a line-driving winger for a couple of young forwards in Jersey back in 17-18, uh, won the heart for it. Um, you know, but but Pasternak is is just um, uh, been an outstanding player. He doesn't he doesn't give away the puck as readily as he did before. I always thought Marshan got a bum rap for St. Louis second goal in Game Seven, 
the 19 why, why? Uh, why did you think you'd get a with, bu- because with 18 seconds left in the period Pasternak had the puck below below the goal line and Bergeron was all tied up in the slot with surrounded by blues and Pasternak could have beaten that puck held on to it cycled it whatever instead he threw a Hail Mary to the high post or slot and and Marchand actually who was gassed at that point actually threw off Jaden Schwartz who was the guy with the puck bearing down on the right Marchand threw him off so that Schwartz was taken out of a shooting angle it was Petrangelo who was trailing on the play who nobody picked up yeah didn't he didn't he, he leave the, the ice though didn't he go for a line change well, he was he was on his way to the bench, and he was he was completely gassed. But even in in that motion of heading toward the bench, he stopped and made Schwartz took away Schwartz's shot. So he actually made a play there. It took and the only reason St. Louis still had a chance was because Petrangelo followed, and there was nobody there for him. And if Marchand stayed there, there's nothing he would have done because at that point he was a turnstile. And and uh, so I, I just felt like he was at the scene of a crime. He got caught holding a bag, and I think he took the bullet from Pasternak. But that was where the decision began, and to me, that's been Pasternak's uh, legacy in my mind as a as a 200 foot player, a guy who is too desperate to make a, a great play. He often can make a disastrous one. Now that one obviously had ramifications. There's there's um, I feel like over the years he's gotten better. Um, it's not completely out of his game, but it's something I'm always watching. Yeah, I think he's much better in in protecting the puck and doing what you would call reasonably risky, but within within reason kinds of plays. I mean, he's he's not the flat out gambler, and you know the, he still has it, and Marshawn still has it. Um, the ability to go a little bit brain dead and try to do too much with it, but it kind of goes along. A one on three, yeah, yeah. It kind of goes along with. Uh, Jim Montgomery's philosophy. You know, he doesn't want people to be safe. He said, you can't be safe. We've got to be on our toes, not on our heels. And so that sort of follows. And, and I will say that this team, and you can correct me, I'm wrong. I have never seen a Bruins team possess the puck for as long uh, stretches of time as this one has. Do you remember a team that, that was that controlling uh, well, offensively? Uh, well, I'd, I'd say the Claude Julian team did it, but in a different kind of a way. What they did was is they hammered you in your own zone and then got their changes while you were gassed in your end trying to survive it and trying not to get the puck so you can ice it. And they would get their changes while they were beating the hell out of you on the boards. And, and that was his way. This way is a little less physical, but they want to get it more physical. I had a good little chat with Mike Foligno. Mike Foligno. I'm talking talking Mike Milberryera here. Yeah, that's um, right. I was going to say <laughs> Nick, Nick, Nick Foligno. <laughs> he he said that um, last year, uh, well, in the Butch, they were a, a much more of a shot volume team. But a lot of times, some of those shots you'd have no net traffic on those shots. So, but that was their way of doing it. This year, he said we're hanging on to the puck, and then you look, and if there's support, if there's a play, you make the play. But if there's no and if there's no play, you don't just throw it at the net. You hold on and you say, okay, is there going to be support? You wait. You hang on more. 
And so you're right. There is a there is a puck possession thing, and this goes back to that uh, puck support a- aspect where anytime there's a puck carrier, the Bruins always have a guy slow. I remember when you were a play, were a very young player in the late '70s, in uh, probably your first full NHL season. Late in the season, the Bruins are making this great surge, and one of the game, a couple of games late in the season, one was at Islanders and one was at Buffalo, and you guys had like, like four guys around the puck, and I'm thinking, wow. You got, how you got, what, what happens if you don't get it? These were all road games and when you guys were really on that streak trying to get first place. Yeah. And, um, but you guys came up with the pucks because you, it was tactical. You knew whether or not you could get it before you piled in there to get it. And, um, and I think that that's the risk we're more to hockey. And I think the Bruins right now are doing a great job of, of, um, uh, with Monty's system of always having that little micro outlet to keep the play moving forward or keep the puck possession. Yeah, and, I remember and that I stretch that actually. I remember that stretch that you're referring to. In fact, I because I remember because I scored in Buffalo, and then ten, 10 years later, Stan Jonathan came by my house and told me that he had tipped the puck. <laughs> Rained on my parade, but it's already in the books, <laughs> Stan. Um, listen, we're going to take a quick break, but can you stick with us for a little bit longer? Happy to. Okay. I do love those short-lived breaks, don't you, Mike? Right here on Gloves Off Hockey. And we got more hockey talk coming up. The boys are back, and we're all ready to rock and roll here. What do you say? All right, Nick. Um, If they're going to go deep this year, where do they need help, or do they? Mm, Yeah, the only question I I have in my mind is, um, well, first off, the, the X factors haven't gone away just because things are going really well. A lot of guys showed up ready to play. I think Derek Borbort, it was quicker in training camp. It just seemed to me like every time he got the puck, what he did with it happened faster and cleaner, and it's translated into the season, and too bad he went and had that broken finger uh, blocking the shot because then he you know, needed time to come back. And I think he's starting to get back to being himself now. Um, and, but I'm starting to wonder if he may be – uh, more suited in the physical matchups than Grizz on that second pairing uh, on the left shot side. I know back in your era, they you know it wasn't as um, as strict that the lefts defend on the left and the rights defend on the right. But the NHL's kind of been this way, you know, with, with rare exception um, when you have you know don't have a balance of rights and lefts on your D. Uh, that's really invariably how it goes um, because of you know everything is just so much five pa- feet of ice. Every, it's all spoken for in video, and and um, but amazingly, hockey still seems like a fluid and lovely game, which is <laughs> which is something that I didn't think would think would be possible given how analyzed it gets these days. But um, it's uh, but I he's but I like I like that has been my big question is what happens if um, like I think it hurt the Bruins against Carolina when Lindholm got bowled over there by Svechnikov. Uh, I think it was game two. He did and, get bowled over too, didn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, that kid's a brick. You know what? And and um, and he he hit him, but good. And uh, and and really, uh, it wasn't like the rest of the Bruins wilted, but there was a there's a definite matchup problem on that side of the ice that I think now with a better version, a quicker version of Forbart and Lindholm, hopefully not being you know vulnerable to that same situation. Um, they're so much better on the left side now from a defensive standpoint. And Grizz, who has amazing ability to skate and move the puck uh, in a speed game, you know, I got no qualms with having him play up against the best players. 
but sometimes it's a physical game. And, and, you know, a lot of times he gets banged up and injured, not on the lineup or ragdolled in the low post, or, you know, around the net. Um, so I think that that's been a big issue. The other thing I'm thinking about is just um, can Bergeron and Krejci go 82-plus uh, six weeks of playoffs? Um, six weeks, two months, almost two months of playoffs. And that's a, that's a tough one because – the last time I was curious about this because Bergeron is his, is his number now. He's 37 years old. Gracie's 36. The last time the Stanley Cup winner had his top two centermen average that age or older was John Beliveau and Henri Richard in 1971, which was Beliveau's swan song in between the two cups won by the Bruins, um, which was a massive upset uh, for them. Um, that season, you know, for them to win the Stanley Cup value was crazy. And and uh, and so for me, you know, yeah, is this the Bruins for a long time have been a Bergeron Krejci team, strength down the middle. So help me, Harry Sinden. But uh, I feel like those guys can no longer be what they were in terms of the weight that they carried. Two hundred feet of hard skill, heavy hockey. I feel like now, I think it's it's you know they're blessed to have high-talent wings. I mean, I've never seen a Bruins team with this much uh, talent on the wing relative to the rest of the ice. You've got a hard trophy winner with Taylor Hall. Marchand's been uh, arguably the best left wing in hockey for, for the last several years, a one-of. And, and, and like as you just described, Pasternak is, has emerged. He is a star. Um, and you can add and, DeBrusque and, to that now, can't you? I mean, he's made a case well, for himself to be top six forward. He definitely has. Um, you know, as much as it kills me, and I'm not against him personally, but I just don't know how the heck he wasn't traded. How how do you rescind a trade request? <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I, and but for, but for that to have worked out the way it has just boggles my mind. Um, but it has, and so God bless the Bruins. They man they managed to make that happen, and. Um, and this kid is definitely, um, you know, and I think the more aggressive forecheck uh, has benefited him. I feel like he's now, I think, too, that the acquisitions of Zaka and the Eric Holla deal um, and A.J. Greer to a lesser extent, but what we're dealing with is big, young bodies. These guys are both 2015 draft picks who are tall and got strong legs and can really skate. And I think the Bruins have a, a nice concert now of, of uh, four checkers who can really bear down with speed. And, and with, you know, Coyle and Taylor Hall, um, you know, it, it, it really uh, it isn't just the same guys anymore. And I feel like it's more of a team uh, speed thing with four checking and bearing down and making it difficult on teams to, to fetch, retrieve, and make good plays. And I feel like that's Helping guys like Bergeron and Krejci, who are the masterminds, but they're no longer the guys who can do what they do, those other guys do, as hard as they do it all year. Doesn't that mean the coach has to back them off a little bit, give them a little less ice time? Isn't that? Yeah, and I think we, I think they are. I think I've seen some games that, ind- that indicate that. I mean, it's not dramatic, but it's uh, but it's definitely a bad. And they got the, because of this great start, thank you, Linus, there's been – um, and a, a luxury here for him to do more than he actually has. But those guys want to play, so they play. But, you know, a lot of it isn't uh, necessarily the hardest 
minutes all the time. A lot of times, Nosek will get some of the stuff that Bergeron used to get. Do you think this is it for Bergeron and Krejci? Whew, boy, after Bergeron was, uh, you know, had the ceremony um, during the week, you know, it, 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 there was so much to it, it really started to make me think about it again. Because I'm thinking, well, why should he, if he's, if everything is right in his life, to keep on playing, why would he want to shut it down if this team can win? Um, but that whole thing really made me feel like maybe this is it for him. Um, I know the Bruins are trying to treat it, and Cam Neely said this, that, yeah, this we have to treat this like a one-shot deal and respect the opportunity that's in front of us here because that's in those guys' hands, and we really can't, uh, you know, know what is around the corner for tomorrow. So we got to take what we have as a precious opportunity. And I think they're, you know, it's great that they're looking at it the way they are because um, and that may just give the collective energy back to the individuals who need it the most when the season gets really long and hard. Do you think this plays into Postonark's situation? Like, I mean, I'd want to know who was going to be my centerman, and I want to know if it was going to be Berge or David Krejci, and if it's not, it's going to be Charlie Coyle, and this is no slam on Charlie Coyle. I think he's the best third-line center in the league, but he's not a first- or second-line guy. Do you think that's might be putting the brakes on a, a potential deal? Um... I mean, money's I, I, money, and if they're offering $12 million, I, I, you take it. I don't, well, here's the thing. It's like, on one hand, I agree with you when you talk about the Bruins, but then you say, okay, so what would what, ha- what would happen if he didn't and he wanted to go to the market? What is the market going to offer him? That would be my question then. Because even if he feels that way about the Boston situation, um, then what? where would he go? Who can afford it? What teams would have the space? And would, what would they have to offer him? And, you know, as far as uh, a guy who's going to get him the puck or I pass on what's to have the puck. That's the other thing. He's a driver. And that's what makes the, the, uh, the whole, um, you know, crazy comment funny. You know, there's only one puck out there. And, oh, no, it was Taylor Hall that said that. Sorry. Uh, but that's true. These, a lot of these guys in their best years have the puck a lot, especially through the middle of the rink. They're lugging it. And I think that's why in the earlier years, which was not that, Bruce Cassidy was not that um, uh, thrilled about the idea of Krejci and Pasternak together because Krejci always liked to have the puck blue line to blue line. And now with Pasternak, he wants it blue line to blue line. So what are we going to do here? Uh, I know it seems like now there's, and this is another thing about Montgomery's system, it seems now like there's more touches. Almost everybody touches the puck now. If you make a great play as a defenseman and you're saying, oh, boy, I'm going to get a, an assist on this goal, you, <laughs> it might be four more yeah. touches before that puck gets near the net. Right, and that's what we talked right about now. earlier. The puck possession has been, I think, dramatically improved. But, you know, we started this season, and we, we all heard from the coach that we have to include the defense and the offense. But when you look at the numbers, it doesn't – it doesn't justify all the hullabaloo. They've got thirteen. They got twelve goals so far this year. Last year they had thirty-one. They're not even on pace to get thirty-one. And so, are we making too much of this? I mean, yeah, the defense jump up once in a while. And the other night was, you know, Carlo was, got his first. Carlo league. got his first the other night, and Clifton got one, and that started that's them right. off and running. But, but I, I'm not. 
I'm not seeing it. Well, I'm, just... I'm not seeing it. If, you, if I'm looking at box scores, I'm not seeing it. If I'm watching the games, I am seeing it. Because what I'm seeing is more license for a guy like Clifton to jump in and play to his nature and make a play, step up and make a play. Um, and then, and not that this didn't happen with Cassidy occasionally, Paul Bart scored two goals, I think, in one game playing for him. So it isn't like a night-day thing. But it's a different tactic in terms of how how the plays are, are uh, theorized and how puck possession has become such a hold on for the right shot, keep moving the puck to each other in small spaces. It reminds me of late 70s, early 80s hockey, which I enjoy more, all the little touch, all the little puck possession passes. Back when guys had wooden sticks and friction tape and they possessed the puck so well, you used to make a joke about O'Reilly with Velcro uh, on his stick and, you know, carrying the puck. But the... Uh, to me, this game that Montgomery's having him play right now is a little more like that. It's obviously a faster era, tempo-wise, but it's. Um, but I think that we, you know, I think that's one of the reasons you don't see points. I think defensemen are involved in the five-man attack, but it doesn't necessarily translate to the score sheet when there's so much more movement of the puck before somebody's going to shoot the thing. Unreal. Hey, uh, guys, not to interrupt, but before we go to break real quick, and uh, Mick, thank you so much. I hope you can stay with us for another segment here. I got to ask this hypothetical to both of you real quick before we go to break. You were talking about what's the holdup of Pasternak, who's going to be the centerman, who's going to be up on that wing after this year, or or the center slot, I should say. We don't really know, but there was a mock trade proposal, and it's uh, being carried by all the major headlines, so I want to get your live reaction from it. Vancouver's Bo Horvat is up. He does not want to stay in Vancouver. There was a rumor that they're talking about Horvat and forward Aiden McDonough to the Bruins in exchange for Lysel, Beecher, a 23 first round and a 23 sixth round. Mick, what do you think about that one? And then Mike, I want to hear yours as well. Well, wow. um, I don't think it's, I don't think that'll get it done. Um, I think that the Bruins fans finally have a, a really exciting prospect in Lysel and, and they're chalking him up and penciling him in and everything else. And, and um, you know, and he's not right now, he's not in the NHL. And, and I think that there'll be known quantities uh, that other teams will beat the Bruins offer. So I don't see a guy like Besser coming to Boston and, and a case like that. And besides, he's, you know, I mean, Horvath. where's he been playing? Where's he been slotting in? You know? Well, <clears throat> I mean, if there was any way they could do it, that would be. I'd be all in under those circumstances. I don't know if it's enough to get it done either, but, you know, if it's not this year, it's not too far down the line that your two top centers are going to walk into retirement. And Horvath is a quality player. and He's young. And he's young and would certainly be uh, a guy that Postenhock would look to to, 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 to have, him, have him be happy with a centerman that was crafty enough to – Play with someone of his ilk. And so t- yeah, I get oh, it. You, done. Oh, you said you said Horvat. I thought Besser for some reason. Okay. <laughs> my my brain went there too, but no, you you got it, buddy. And uh, hey, you know we okay. were just about ready to send uh, Carlo and DeBrusque with a first round pick up the river for Patrick Kane. So hey, why not, right? Yeah, not me. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want well, that. I gotta have my D. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me just ask you something about Linus Elmark. How did he? How did this happen? How did he turn into Ken Dryden? How much is Buffalo hating <laughs> letting him go now? 
Well, there's been a couple of things that have been um, noted about him. One, one is uh, one you can observe if you're close around him is that he's a little more chiseled this year. Um, he came back a little more in that. Remember when Yvonne Lendl lost some weight and went on that eat to win diet, Dr. Robert Haas's book, and next thing you know, um, guys like McEnroe couldn't break him down. He just was like impenetrable, and <laughs> he became this great counterpunching player, and um, and and he was just in better shape than everybody, and he changed. It was a game changer for the whole sport, and uh, and I feel like Linus Omar took a step in physical fitness that doesn't reflect on him being anything bad last year, but just it just seems to have an accent to it this year that it's almost Tim Thomas like. He's got incredible flexibility, speed, fluidity, and, and here's one of the things that was talked about. Um, I'm trying to remember who made this reference, but. I'm, because uh, Montgomery, I was you know careful to say I'm not a goaltending guy, but but he was saying how that uh, Linus is uh, playing with uh, did some work with Essenza to to not try to stop so harshly to go back in the direction he needs to go in, but be a little more like Tuca was, where you let yourself slide a little bit and recover in a more natural way. You'll have time to do it, and and it's a little more graceful. It looks a little scarier, but it's working. All right, let me ask you this question. This is a hypothetical, not a trade question. You know, we just watched the World Cup. An unbelievable final game, right? I mean, just an incredible. I'm not not a soccer fan, but it was, you know, it it had the world titillated. Um, 36 years, long time. and, And it was determined, the outcome was determined by a shootout. Now, I think in playoffs... The long overtime games are drastically overrated, and I think they wear they wear teams down, and the quality of the play suffers further on in the series. Uh, I would submit that if you could get down to a one overtime with five on five, or some version of three on three, or even four on four, or go from ten minutes to five minutes of four on four, and five minutes of three on three, and then you end the games with a shootout, I'd be for that. I would definitely be for that. I think the quality of the playoff games going forward would be great. I know you're going to get a big pushback from the hockey purists and say you can't end a game with a shootout, but we already do. And we've already seen on the world stage with, with soccer that it can be incredibly entertaining. And when you see shootouts now, uh, you see the crowd is completely nuts for the shootout. They love seeing it. It's just drama on every shot. So unless you are determining a Stanley Cup winner, and then I think you could go all night long and play all night long until the right team won, um, I think they should start using a shootout after some limited form of overtime. What are your thoughts? I think that... Um... I hate the shootout. Um, I don't feel like it's a hockey play. I feel like hockey games should be decided on hockey plays. Uh, that having been said, you make up. You're, you're identifying a good problem. It's the, I don't like that either. When playoff games have three overtimes, I feel like there's more they could do about the hockey that's played in those overtimes than to leverage a winner than to um, than to go to the shootout. I feel like there's other things they can do. But I do agree with you that you've identified a problem. Um, and, and you were right. Not too many people have ever spoken 
about the ramifications of a long overtime game on the rest of a series, which proves that, you know, your experience as a coach. I mean, you know, I don't want to mention any names, um, Peter Klima, but the, <laughs> uh, the, it's, it's a pro, it is like that. And you don't know how long it's going to, it's exhausting in a way that really kind of takes the wind out of your sails sometimes. And you say, okay, but what is the quality of the game right now? Is it the kind of, well, they've really tried hard to somehow um, get into, improve the game. I don't think the shootout's the answer in the playoffs, uh, but I do think they can do better. I would love to see the catching glove of goaltenders shrink. And it would not be a gimmicky kind of a move. It would bring us back more closer to the 70s and 80s because right now, not counting the wrist protector, the diagonal measurement from the bottom outside of your hand up to the middle section of the trapper, the maximum allowed distance is 18 inches. I don't think there's an NBA player that needs a glove that big. So I would love to see some of these goalies have to play with Jerry Cheever's mitt. As, because you, that's not that's the one piece of, of goaltending equipment that you cannot make a safety argument about from a player's standpoint. Because all that material has nothing to do with the protection of your hand. And I'd like to see, and that's one way you can change the game in a way that makes it more like its history and less like the next thing that makes it less like what we know. And that's why I have... I'd love to see that. I'd love to see. Well, would you like to? Would you go? Would you at least meet me halfway and go for a three on three in overtime? Or maybe we can. I'd be okay with that, but I'll tell you, I get a problem with three on three regular season hockey's bugging me because the teams voluntarily walking the puck out of the attacking zone because they're not thrilled with with what the openings are. So they go back and they and they meander and they delay and they cycle back, get some changes. I want to see a ha- I want to see hockey adopt the backcourt rule like basketball has that you cannot voluntarily take the puck outside the attacking zone once it's in because if you do it's icing in your end no changes. Um, I'd love to see that because that to me is antithetical to what the three on three overtime is supposed to do. You open up the ice so that you can skate hard and you can make plays and you can try to win. And that's not what that hockey is. It's it's a little microcosm of European hockey, which I think was long overrated because of the open ice and the wide rinks. When, as Ray Bork once said to me, they don't use it to skate, they use it to hide. Wow. Huh. And here I'm thinking about the last time they shrunk goalie gear and everybody was talking about safety. I never heard about the glove, though. That's an interesting take on that. And how about this? Instead of uh, three on three, how about after the first 10 minutes of that overtime, we just let the two goalies meet at center ice and we'll figure this out mano a mano. What do you say about that? <laughs> I don't mind that. I, 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 the reduction Tribute to Ray Emery. gradual reductions, I like that better than I like the shootout. Because at least then, you know, it's still, it's still a fluid hockey play. <laughs> that way you can still have the greatest goaltender in the world on your team if you want, but at the end of the day, he still has to be one bad mamma jamma. <laughs> I, I like that theory. That's a good one. Uh, so so just getting away from the Bruins for a little bit, I'm puzzled by Edmonton, the two greatest players in the National Hockey League, in my estimation, <laughs> McDavid and Dreisaitl, and they can't make it work. Why? That's a tough one because you also have uh, Darnell Nurse back there. Just going to say that. Um, you know, you've got some other players on that team. And, you know, Nugent Hopkins has hung around all these years. Uh, so all these guys who are really, you know, kids 
a little while ago are suddenly veteran players and and you say, okay, what is going on here with it with this uh, with this team, and why don't they ever get on the right side of it? Um, I got to look them up now. The <laughs> well, you know, I can tell you, about. I can tell you this, Mick. At five on five, they're right near the bottom in goals for and goals against, and that's five on yeah. five. Their their right. power play is just deadly at 33 percent. Well, well, look at Connor McDavid. He's twenty eight goals, thirty six assists, sixty four points. Plus three. I mean, yeah, that tells you what you need right there. That tells me that there's that there's uh, now it's easy to um, you know the the low hanging fruit on a team like this has been the goaltending, and it has um, and and it you know could be again, but um, but I look at a team like this and I say uh, maybe they don't have enough of the of the um, of hard players with hard skills, you know, enough of uh, players who who don't necessarily uh, pull off something that's going to make everybody stand and go nuts and talk about it on social media, but they're going to be the kind that uh, just they just go out there and win. Um, I feel like this team needs uh, a miniature army of those kind of guys. I don't feel like there's enough. I've never felt like that's enough on enough of that on this club. And I feel like you need it down. You need it in the middle too, because I mean, Drysaddle sometimes with McDavid, sometimes on his own line. Uh, Nugent Hopkins is a center. He's a skilled guy. And look at him saying, "Okay, I'm going down the line here and saying, okay." Uh, every once in a while, a team like this has a sideshow player. But where's the fiber? Where's the where's the hard part? Uh, where are they hard to play against? And and um, I, I know the part of defending McDavid's hard, but as far as when you're trying to do something with a puck, when does it get hard? When you get to nurse? Uh, before that, what, what happens? You know, I just haven't felt like they've lacked that part of their lineup. Yeah. I just haven't seen it. You remember let, how let valuable switch. Dave Poulin was to you. Yes, you right. Um, let's get back to the East because it's a funny thing really right now. Carolina is 9-0-1 in its last 10 games. And their goaltender is Kotchikov. And looks like he's 10-1-4. Toronto is seven two and one. Had a long streak of winning there in their last ten. They're seven two and one. Pittsburgh, eight one and one in their last ten. Tampa Bay, all of a sudden, starting to get a little bit of a rhythm. They're seven three in their last ten games, and the Rangers are seven two and one. Even Washington's mm-hmm. crawled back into the picture. Who scares you? Yeah. Who scares you in that grouping? The most. Well, um, I always felt like. If Pittsburgh could get a little more depth, then, um, but then you read about Latang and you say, how the heck is this guy still playing hockey? So uh, they're, they're a weird one right there. That's hard to put a finger on that. Carolina, um, they're a good team. And I was, uh, as much as I respect Tampa Bay, I was a little surprised at how quietly they went last year after they got the beat the Bruins. Um, the Bruins were never close to winning one of the games in their building, and and uh, and Carolina, uh, you know, I feel like they got a good cohesion to their team. You know, like the way we always used to think about hockey that that a team plays well together. It's hard to describe it, but you know it when you see it. I feel like they're the one of those teams 
Um, the team that's blown me away this year, although things have started to level off here, three five two in their last ten, is Lindy Russ, New Jersey Devils. Yeah, they haven't um, won. Actually, but, haven't won in six games. They're oh five and one, and they're yeah. You know, so they're they're, hitting, like... they're hitting a wall here. We'll see what happens. Uh, the Leafs. One thing in common with these teams, and now you can always argue chicken and egg here. Um, are they getting the goaltending, or are they getting, uh, or are they making their goaltenders look better? But um, Toronto. Uh, has certainly uh, settled in to the trajectory that we all expect from a group that talented. Yeah, their uh, they goaltending's been pretty good. In the year. Yeah. So um, and, uh, I think we're about out of time, are we not? Bang ben? on, got about 30 seconds. All right, so well, so give me the, your final answer on which team scares you the most. Which team scares you? I think the Leafs do. I think Tampa's tired. I like them, but they're tired. I don't think the Rangers are quite ready. I like Carolina, but I feel like they lack uh, they lack a high end. There's something missing there, and I'm not sure what it is. But yeah, uh, Patrick Kane would look like good in the middle of their rink. Patrick uh, Kane I, would look good in a Hurricanes uniform. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. But, uh, Toronto to me is like they got to be sick of losing over there. Yeah, they do. Hey, Mick, thanks a million. Really appreciate it. Great, great to hear from you. Great insights, and uh, have a great holiday season. Thank you. You too. Enjoy talking with you guys tonight. Always a pleasure. Right here on Gloves Off Hockey on 1510 WMEX, Quincy, Boston, and translator W266DQ, 101.1 FM in Weymouth.